I want you to turn to two passages in your Bible, Philippians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm not coming there now, but those are the passages that I will come to. And I, and I want to read a passage out of Isaiah 50. And, um, and so I'll just give you that. And while, while I'm at it, 1 Chronicles 26 as well. So there you go. Isaiah 50, 1 Chronicles 26, Philippians 1, 2 Corinthians 1. And I'm only going to speak for about 10 minutes. No, I, I couldn't read those scriptures in 10 minutes, you know, but um, I, I want to I want to share this with you. So while you're getting all those places ready in your Bible, please listen to this. This is very powerful. There is a kind of suffering only known to the Christian. It is voluntary suffering, deliberately and knowingly incurred for the sake of Christ. Such is a luxury, a treasure of fabulous value, a source of riches beyond the power of the mind to conceive. And it is rare as well as precious, for there are few in this decadent age who of their own will and their own choice go down into this dark mine looking for the jewels. But of our own choice it must be. For there is no other way to get down into these treasures. God will not force us into this kind of suffering. He will not lay this cross upon us. Nor embarrass us with riches we do not want. Such riches are reserved for those who apply to serve in the legion of the dead. Who volunteer to suffer for Christ's sake. And who follow up their application with lives that challenge the devil and invite the fury of hell. Such as these have said goodbye to the world's toys. They have chosen to suffer affliction with the people of God. They have accepted toil and suffering as their earthly portion. The marks of the cross are upon them. They are known in heaven as well as hell. There is a suffering in disobedience, but there is also a suffering in obedience, and the choice is yours. You can suffer for Christ, or you can suffer for yourself. One comes with great reward, the other comes with just an imperiling consequence of pain and misery and devastation. Jonah, in flight from the will of God, was in no worse storm than the Apostle Paul on the ship in the perfect will of God. They both suffered a storm, one in the will of God and one running from God. Jonah in the belly of the whale was in no worse of a place than Daniel in the middle of the lion's den. But one was in the belly of the whale by rebellion. The other was in the lion's den for the cause of God. The nails that bit into the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ were just as real in the hands and the feet of the thieves. But one would be raised to glory and power and honor. And his name would be lifted high. There's a difference of suffering. The suffering of the cross which is chosen. And the suffering of life which is just the lot of a fallen humanity. And I want you to see a few of the people that have chosen to suffer. One of the favorite passages in the Bible for me is Isaiah 50. It is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see what it says here, because it begins just so well. It used to be my, my prayer, 
And then it became my conviction and and then it became such a fear to me, would, would I be able? Because I used to read this and just pray verse 4 so much for my life. But you got to go through to at least verse 7, if not more. But we're going to go through 4 through 7. And it's a prophecy of Jesus. And it says in verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakes me morning by morning. He wakes my ear to hear as the learn. Wouldn't you love that from God? God, you wake me up every day. Wake up my ear to hear you. Give me the word to speak in the season that I'm in. And those that are weary. But then you go on and it sees what this word was that came to Jesus. So the Lord God has opened my ear. And I had a choice. But I was not rebellious. Neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifies me. Even against those who contend with me. And I think about that with Jesus. You know, the wake up call that God gave his son while he was here on earth was not so much how many lepers you're going to heal today, how many crippled people you're going to make walk and all of these things. But really what this passage tells us is the father woke the son up and he said, this is what's going to happen today. They're going to reject you. They're going to spit on you and they're going to mock you. And I want you to know something, son, at any moment you choose, I will give you a legion of angels and I will wipe them out. At any moment you ask, I will give you that. But I would rather you take it, son. And I would rather you bear it. And I would rather you take all of that spit of man and all of the mockery of men and all of the shame that can be heaped upon you. I would rather you take it to the cross and I would rather you hang there and ask in front of everybody for their forgiveness. I would rather you do that. And it says that he was not rebellious. He gave his back to those that would smite him and those that would spit in his face and those that pulled the beard from his face. And so I ask you that. What have you suffered? What have you suffered? What, what have you and I turned our back on in regards to maybe something that God had in the path of our life to get from here to there? Because Jesus was getting from here to there, right? The cross was not his destination, the cross was the means of his resurrection and his ascension and the redemption of mankind. But he had to go through that to get that for his father. And so if the church is willing to go through some things, I believe we will see the glory and the revival that we're asking for. The harvest that we're desiring. If, if we'll just go through a little bit of momentary suffering for eternal glory, I believe that we will see it. You see, the spiritual giants of God's word and the, he, the, 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 the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 were not men of ease and comfort. Actually, their lives were sealed with testimonies of tears and blood. And yet in that sowing of tears and blood, it reaped a harvest of multitudes. They, they even tell us in Afghanistan that there's, that there's a revival that is going on because of the slaughter of Christians. And, and the, and the heathens and the Muslims that 
are watching these Christians die. I've testified we have never seen anybody die like this. And their lives have been just wrecked inside. And many of them are coming to Jesus Christ. It's not the ease of life that brings men to Jesus. It's just the love of God. The love of God. Jim Elliott, one of the great missionary martyrs, made this comment in his diary. And it was a question. Am I ignitable? And remember, suffering as a choice, as a voluntary thing. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I might be aflame. But aflame is transient, often short-lived. So can you bear this, my soul, a short life? In me there dwells the Spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. So I choose, O Lord, make me thy fuel. O flame of God. And he would write before his death. Father take my life. Yes in my blood if you will. And consume it with the enveloping fire of your spirit. I would not save it for it is not mine to save. Have it. Have it all Lord. I pour out my life as an oblation for the world. And blood is only of value. As it flows upon your altar. Upon your altar. The great missionary from Europe, C.T. Studd, made this statement. It's a voluntary choice of suffering. Most of us choose to escape it. These types of people run into it. C.T. Studd was one. And he made this statement. Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. You talk about bring the affliction of the enemy. And the great Amy Carmichael, who became a missionary in India, sacrificed and served her whole life there, loving people for the cause of Christ, wrote this. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee. From fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher. From silken self, O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus are spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay. The hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel flame of God. I wonder if Jim Elliot got that from her. Tozer said this. Do not allow yourself to be padded to sleep in a comfortable church. I read something on Facebook the other day. And it was like something about how a church will fight and pray and search really hard to find a great pastor. And they love him until the great pastor wants them to be great Christians. (laughs) Again, Tozer says, do not allow yourself to be padded to sleep in a comfortable church, void of power and barren of fruit. Do not paint the cross nor deck it with flowers. Take it for what it is, as it is, and you will find it the old Rugged way of death and life. Let it slay you utterly. 
seek God. Seek to be holy and fear none of those things which you will suffer. Amen. I want that. I want that. I want, I want a God that's so beautiful like that. Like these guys knew that it's so beautiful that they would be willing to give everything and not lose nothing but gain it all. I want that so badly. So I want to read one of my favorites, and that's Paul. And this is what he writes to the Philippians in chapter 1. And then we're going to kind of a companion passage with this is what he says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 1. So in Philippians chapter 1, there's just a few things. I, I wish I had time to read it all, and I don't. I encourage you to study this on your own about Paul's life and the suffering he went through, I'm finding Second Corinthians as well. So here in Philippians chapter 1, just notice this in verse 12. This is important. It's the title of my message. But I would that you should understand, brethren, the things which happened to me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The things that have happened to me have happened to further the gospel. Do you see that? Very simple, right? If you would read the companion of this in verse 20, he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I wonder when death became so fearful to Christians. And notice verse 7, because he says this, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. And the title of this message today is Benefiting from My Grace. And that's what Paul was telling the Philippians. What I have suffered and the grace that I've received is to benefit you. I want what I've been through to be for you. I want it to help you and I want it to strengthen you. And then he says these classic verses in verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I would not. I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and your joy of faith. And so the reason I'm going to continue is for your joy and the furtherance of your faith. I'm not going to be some depressed guy that I didn't get to go to heaven yet. I'm going to live here on this earth with a quality of life and a joy of life that is going to help further your joy and further your faith. That's what I'm dedicated to, the Apostle Paul says. Now listen, he's not praying in Philippians chapter 1 that he dies in his sleep. He's not praying in Philippians chapter 1 that he has this nice little peaceful exit from this life into the presence of God. He knows he's not. He knows how he's going to die. He knows the prophecies that Ananias spoke over his life. As a matter of fact, when he's writing Philippians chapter 1, if you study it, he talks about his imprisonment. And he talks about his bonds. And he talks about his chains. He was not a loved man. 
The churches did not love him. The people did not love him. The Jews did not love him. The Romans did not love him. Most people despised him and hated him and mocked him and slandered him and cursed him and spread lies about him. And if there was a Facebook, they would have plastered horrible things about him all through Facebook. And the Apostle Paul says, I want to go home. And it's not the fact that I'm going home in an easy way. I hope they kill me. I hope they kill me. I hope I get to go and be with you. Because I'm going to die eventually. I mean, one day the prophecies over my life are going to be fulfilled. And I'm going to die. And I'm going to leave this life. I hope it's now. But I really don't think it is. I think I've got this confidence in me that I'm going to be around a little bit longer. But oh, how I want to go and be with Jesus. And this isn't taking a sleeping pill and going to bed in the night. This is like... This is going to be horrific pain brought to my life and I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. And he tells the Corinthians something very similar in this. Notice in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us. Wait a minute, I'm not the only one in tribulation. I'm not the only one suffering here. Us are. We are, you are, and what happens in that suffering, God comforts you. I pray that you will let him, I pray that you will let him today, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. There's a purpose. If you, if you don't know of a purpose in your life of why you're suffering, you're in a sinking hole of misery. You're never going to come out of it. And do you know that some believers never come out of it? They sink into such a depression and such a misery because they don't understand the value of the moment and the purpose of God in it and what's going to come from it. If I can submit myself to this persecution that God has chosen for me to walk through, this is not the end goal God has for me. He has something else for me. And the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, everything that I'm going through is to give you greater joy, to give you greater faith, to expand and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I take it all for the cause of Christ. And everything that I go through is for the benefit of the church. Everything. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know necessarily when it's going to happen. But I know this, whatever happens to my life is going to help that church. I'm going to let it benefit from my grace. And whether I live or die, I know this one thing. Jesus is going to be glorified in my body. And he knew that. And so when you have an attitude of faith like that, you can pass through it, beloved. And it doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean you don't cry. And it doesn't mean you don't battle depression and battle despair. But you battle it like somebody who's been promised a victory. And an assurance. You battle it that way. And you believe God for it that way. And so... In 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about these things. And I I just want you to continue in verse 4. For as the sufferings, verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our comfort also abounds by Christ. What does this mean? So if, if I'm abounding in suffering, the sufferings of Christ, what, what else is abounding to me? The consolation that comes by Christ. And, 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 and this is hard to grasp. This is a revelation. You, and nobody's going to do this because it's written in the Bible. 
It's a revelation that Paul had. and He's trying to explain to us as the church. If you will just willingly go through it. If you will willingly suffer it. You will find something in it. That in my weakness. He is strong. And in my ability. His grace abounds towards me. And I have learned to rejoice in all things. And in my suffering. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And if the church world could get to that. You talk about explode with the testimony of Jesus Christ everywhere. Because what are we afraid of? I mean, think about it. Think about how often the gospel is not shared at our workplace or our schools. Because we're afraid of how somebody's going to think about us. Think about how hard it is for us to praise God in the house of God among the people of God because we're afraid of what people may think about us. Fear of man runs rampant. But when you are willing to choose suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ because you've had the revelation of his glory and the revelation of his beauty and you're not afraid anymore. You just are. You've already sentenced yourself to death. I'm just a dying man waiting for my execution. Then who can beat you? What threat can come against your life that's going to stop you? But it's a revelation. You can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own. God has to take me there. God has to take us all there. And so he says this in verse 6. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. So my affliction is for you. So I don't need pity. I would hope to God that I would be able to suffer in such a way that you hardly even notice it. And you would look at my life and think, you haven't been through anything. You don't know what suffering is. You don't know what persecution is. You don't know what hardship is. Because I don't smell like smoke. I don't smell like I've been in a fiery furnace. I don't have ropes entangling me because in my fire, God burnt them off. And I'm free. And to be able to come out of that and say, all of this is for you. Satan lost something. He should have never messed with me. Because when he did, he lost something. He engaged me in conflict. And I accepted in the name of Jesus. And now I've plundered his kingdom. And I'm going to take it back to the church. And I'm going to help the church with it. And I'm going to help believers with it. And so he says this, the affliction is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Whether we be comforted, it's for you. It's for your consolation and salvation. So if I suffer or if I'm comforted, everything's for you. Man, that, that you and I would love the church like that. Because a person that can go into tribulation or suffering with that attitude I'm going to come out of it with something for you. You've already won. You're going to suffer. Everybody's going to suffer. But you can choose and volunteer to the sufferings of Christ. And this, as we're coming to it, is so very important. He says in verse 7, Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the comfort. We're sure of that. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. Now listen to this trouble. We were pressed out of measure, above strength, 
insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death. Now notice this. We had the sentence of death in ourselves. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. I want to explain this to you, the sentence of death. This is very powerful. And I pray that you will just let this sink into your spirit and into your heart of what Paul is saying. The sentence of death that Paul is referring here is that I came to a place where I had to make a decision personally. Because it was the sentence of death in myself. The question was asked by God to Paul, will you die for this? And I had to give an answer, and my answer was yes. And the moment I said that with the Lord, I put myself under a sentence of death. It's within myself. And people don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. And a lot of times Christians don't do that. But Paul did it. Yes. Will you follow me to the end, Paul? Yes. Will you give your life for me, Paul? Yes. When Ananias comes to you and prophesies to you about what's going to happen to you, that you're going to be thrown in prison and you're going to be beaten, you're going to be harassed everywhere you go, will you still go through it? Yes, I'll go. I've taken within myself the sentence of death and I have agreed to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that was it. And that was his agreement. And then out of this would become the abundant, the abundant things that would go on in Paul's life. So the sentence of death was in him. He was a dead man from the beginning. And there's not really much you can do to a dead man. Some of the greatest Americans that have ever lived were those that would go off to war. Reconciling in themselves that I'll probably never come back. And they fought as dead men to win liberty for us. That is so often being trashed today. But they were willing to give their lives. And that's why they gave us freedom. And there was a man about 2,000 years ago that was willing to give his life. And he gave us truth and grace and Jesus and how to suffer and how to rejoice and how to be glad. And how beautiful the church is and how to serve it. So much came out of his life from the sufferings that he went through. It was through these trials that he was able to comfort the body of Christ and help its faith and help its joy and the ability to be able to help it grow. And I applaud the Apostle Paul in everything that he has done and that he has gone through to bring us into. The Apostle Paul's life, he was in prison numerous times, five times beat with by the Jews, 39 lashes, five times, different times, three times beaten with rods, once he was stoned, three times shipwrecked, A night and a day he was in the ocean in frequent journeys. He was in danger from the rivers, danger from robbers, danger from his own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren and multitudes of labor and hardship and sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and cold and exposure. And many would say, Paul, lighten up. He would say, none of these things move me. I gave myself a death sentence. And I have never known in my life the experience of his fellowship and his love and his comfort in my life. Like I do when I'm suffering for him. 
He becomes so personally real and so personally strong in my life and all of the benefits that come to me through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on. I'm just going to read a little bit more. He says in verse 10, he says, I had this sentence of death, but God raised us from the dead. In verse 9, we didn't die. We, we, we were ready to. In verse 10, he delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust that he will deliver us still. You also helping. Now, verse 11, I want to focus on this. You also helping together by prayer for us. That for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. And so the Apostle Paul is like this. He's saying, listen, not only was I comforted by God, but you know how else God helped me? A praying church. You guys helped me. You prayed for me. It was your intercessions that God answered and he moved and he delivered us from certain death. We were pressed beyond measure. We were overwhelmed. We, Paul's saying we were the ones saying to God when we'd go to bed at night, I can't take anymore, God. I can't, I'm beyond strength here. We're, we're, our heads are going under the water, God. We need help. And the church was out there praying and praying and believing God. And I say this to you, beloved. If we're going to be serious Christians in a world that is seriously against Christ and against His church, which is only growing and only increasing, you better be in a church that's praying. You better be in a church that's battling hell and knows the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And is able to gain things from God. And I thought this would be appropriate. I wanted to share with you just over the last two months. And some of these I've, I didn't have with me when I came in here today. But these are just in the last two and a half months. We get together at church and we pray often. We pray every Sunday night. And God hears us and God moves. And miracles are being done. And we're watching God do miracles. And we're believing God to do miracles still for requests that we've been asked one of these prayer requests is Chris Foster in his clinicals was going through a four-week very intensive thing. And he testified to us that God gave him a miracle deliverance from depression. He gave him an absolutely successful four weeks in clinicals. Carla and I had a brother, a, a, a cousin-in-law who was sick in the hospital with fluid in his lungs. And the church began to pray and he was released from the hospital the next day. Brandon Trott, our dear friend in Brobridge, who pastors a church there, their church had been bewitched and deceived, and they were, they were lied to, and they were in a mountain of debt that they never could see their way getting out of. Through prayer and through intercession and believing God, the Lord not only got them out of their debt, God moved them from that property, gave them a brand new building that was designed to be a church in the first place. They were in an impossible situation. Daryl Ingram, our dear friend, went to Africa and came back testifying that his crusades had tens of thousands of people there. Miracles, salvations, healings. Ray Sanchez, our Spanish pastor, was very, very sick and unable to get out. God healed him. God sent Brianna to Mexico on a mission trip where she saw girls and boys saved out of human trafficking and deliverance and salvations in people's lives. A friend of ours in Wisconsin whose name is Doug, Donnie, his father was sick and he was in stage four cancer, pancreatic cancer. I went there just a few weeks ago to preach at their camp meeting and the mother and the father who only had weeks to live, this is a year later, comes up to me and says, look how good I look. I don't have cancer anymore. God healed him of stage four pancreatic cancer. He goes to Terry Fisher's church. He's preaching next Sunday at nine in the morning. 
We finished all of the repairs at our building next door and here. We finished everything. It has become beautiful. We have a beautiful activity center, a beautiful kitchen. Everything has been done debt free with no, no, no loans. Nothing has been paid off. Our dear friend Roger Hornsby was sent to the hospital. He was given three days to live. He was prayed for. He was healed and he was sent home and he's doing well now. Laurie Wunstel's niece and her teenage daughter were healed of COVID. Chloe was healed and strengthened um, to play in her soccer game where they went and would win nationals in that. Wendy Abood and Adeline, her, her daughter, were in a horrible car accident and, and they had lost control and the car was totaled and Wendy and Adeline came out with no scratches, no harm. Praise God. Lakeisha and her family, who usually sit up there, Lakeisha and her family were in an accident, a car accident. Their car flipped several times. They walked out of that. Then their money was stolen to buy a new car, which was later returned through an answer to prayer. All the money that was stolen, over $1,000, was returned back to her. Robin Shear stands up and testifies. I don't know that she's missed church since she's been here for months now. God has healed her and God has touched her. I had a friend who had asked the church for prayer because her daughter was in the emergency room in an ICU, sick. And we prayed God healed her and sent her home. Need to say all of the things that God did for us with Hurricane Ida and how God protected us and how God protected our buildings and our homes and our lives and protected us from flooding because we prayed. We watched God move that storm. We watched God bump it. We saw what God did. And I'm not wishing this on anybody else. I can't explain that. I know praying Christians suffered some things and it doesn't mean they're not blessed or anything else like that. I just know God answered our prayer. That's all I can say. The prayer we prayed, he answered. I think of Sarah's signs. Her and Josh had testified how they had lost their baby about a week ago. They had lost their baby. And then she came here into the service last Sunday night and testified in our prayer meeting that during church, in the prayer meeting, she received the anointing of the Lord. And the word of the Lord moved upon her. And she was healed in an altar of praise. I praise God for that. Cindy's friend, Jan Cassidy, had a tumor. It was 100% gone and removed from her body. The CAT scans in Cindy's friend is no cancer. Is that right? Is that right? And I thank God for that. Pam Richard was testifying. She had had a, a stopped up ear for weeks and weeks. It was stopped up and it was creating all types of problems for her. She said last week during the service when we were praying, my ear popped open and it hasn't been blocked since then. Rachel and Chris Forrester testified about baby Judah. And baby Judah was was born prematurely and he was given less than a 10% chance to live. And if he would live, he would live with severe problems and, and deformity. They brought him back to the neurologist this, just this past week. And the doctor kept saying, what an absolute miracle. What an absolute miracle. The doctor said... His progress was miraculous. The neurologist said, most don't make it. And those that do make it have severe cerebral palsy. But the doctor said, Judah's only need right now is to work on the tightness in his ankles. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. 
My dear friend Joe Sadler comes to church Wednesday night and testifies that his brother-in-law was given six weeks to live. He had low oxygen. He had cancer in his body. And the doctors gave him six weeks to live. That's been months now. Went back to the doctor, ran scans on him, and the doctor said, there's no cancer. You have no cancer in you. And I thank the Lord for that. And, and, and another miracle of the intervention of God is Deborah was praying and we, she asked for prayer in the church. And we prayed last night, last Sunday night in the prayer meeting. She was going to give a religious exemption about the vaccination. And we were praying that they would accept it. And it's just a secular society and everything like that and, and liberal people that would be judging it. And she testified to us later that week that God had moved and they accepted her religious exemption. She can keep her job. Guys, I just, I'll tell you, I don't need a politician. I don't need a Christian president and I don't need a multitude of, I need God. I need a praying church. I need people that can get a hold of the Lord and believe God and are spirit filled and empowered by the Holy Ghost and aren't playing games and looking for a soft life and a comfortable life. We're here as soldiers of Jesus Christ fighting hell and we've been given the victory and we've been given the name and we've got the blood. Oh my God, let us go forth and win. Let us go forth and win. Let us not be afraid of suffering. Let us not be afraid of trials. Let us not be afraid of afflictions. And you know, some of them are the results of your own prayers. And I just want to close with this scripture in Chronicles. And he tells us this in First Chronicles. And I think this is such a beautiful scripture. I've read it so many times in First Chronicles chapter 26. And he tells us this. And it talks about warfare and it talks about battles. And he says in verse 27, out of the spoils won in battles, did they dedicate to maintain the house of the Lord? Out of the spoils won in battles, did they dedicate to maintain the house of the Lord? Now, this is Old Testament, right? And so they would go and they would fight. And in these battles, they would overcome kings and kingdoms. And they would loot those kingdoms because they were the rightful owners of all of that now. And they would take these these precious metals and gold and they would come back and they would bring that to the temple of God. And there in the temple of God, they would they would renew it. They would refresh it. They would paint it up. They would they would they would just do whatever they needed to do. They had the money to do it through all of these things that were going on. But can I tell you the New Testament type? Is the church of Jesus Christ. That's the house of God. And if you remember what the apostle Paul said. That all of my sufferings and all of my afflictions. And even all of my comfort come with a purpose. And that purpose is. I want to receive the comfort of God. And I want to be close to Jesus Christ. And I want to show the world how beautiful Jesus is to me. And I want to give every grace that I have to the church. I want to help the church's joy. I want to help the church's faith. I want to help the church's strength. I'm going to just pour this out to you. Everything God has shown. What is Paul doing? From the spoils that I've won in war, I bring it back to the house of God and I keep it updated. I keep it maintained. Let me tell you something. We need new carpet in here. We need new seating in here. We need things like that because it's over 20 years old and it needs to be. We understand that. It's not to say we never do that. But that's not what's going to change the atmosphere from defeat to victory. Do you really think that Jesus intends for you to live in depression? Do you think it is his intent for you to be in despair? Do you think Jesus... 
Jesus wants you to be an unbelief? Do you think Jesus wants you to live in fear? No, sir. He hasn't brought you up to that battle so that you're overcome with that. He brought you into that battle so that by Him and through Him and for Him, you will overcome that devil of fear, that devil of depression, that devil of despair. And as you overcome that, you take the spoils and you go help somebody in the name of Jesus Christ. You help them live. You help them fight. You help them overcome. That's what this is all about. It's not walking around with these chips on our shoulders because I've gone through a hard time. We've all gone through hard times. We've all been offended. We've all been abused. We've all been mistreated. We've all been hurt. We've all been ignored. We've all been made fun of. We've all been gossiped about. Somehow somebody said something about us all on Facebook and social media. We've all been going through it. If we could call for an angel of angel armies to come down and defend us, may we rather take up the cross and say, Dear God, I'd rather suffer so that they could be forgiven. Oh, God, I'd rather hurt so that they could be free. Oh, God, let the suffering of my life be grace to the people. Let it be that. And and God begins to do it. And God begins to work. From the spoils taken in war, they maintain the house of God. Don't ever distrust your shepherd. For he doesn't lead you anywhere without him. And he takes you into nothing that he has not already devised your way of escape. He never sends you into a battle he has not already equipped you and trained you to win. You remember that. And he brought you in there because he knows. If I don't let you fight this, your faith's going to fail. If I don't let you go through this suffering, you're going to lose your praise. If I don't let this come against you, you're going to lose your need for me and my presence and my comfort. Your shepherd knows. And so he sends you out into war, not for bad to you, but to maintain your house, to maintain your faith, to maintain your joy, to maintain your confidence, to maintain your strength. That's why you're fighting. You just think it's random. You just think it's life. Oh, no, he paid far too great a price to do that with you. And remember who it's all for. Please, remember who it's all for. It's for him. It's for him. And that was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, you'll give me a legion of angels if I asked. And the grief that I'm bearing right now with the blood that I'm sweating is more than I've ever known. But Father, you're so beautiful to me that your will is all I want. And whatever may come, I'm willing to walk through that with you, for you, and let the world see how beautiful you are to me. And there was a man lived a long time ago whose name was Job and he didn't know what went on behind the scenes he didn't know why he suffered so he didn't know why he lost his wealth and his children died he didn't know 
But suddenly on one day, he lost everything because there was a meeting with Satan and God. And before Satan could bring anybody else up, God said, Hey, have you considered Job? There's nobody like him. He loves me. Maybe Satan was about to go up into the presence of God and ask for leadership. But I'd have failed. So God says, Job, before he can bring me up. What about Job? Satan says, oh, God. The only reason he loves you is because you protect him. It's the only reason. You bless him and he's got an easy life. God says, that's not so. That's not so. And the challenge was on. And it was basically this. God was saying to Satan, there is somebody down there who loves me for me. And not what I give him. He loves me. And Satan says, not so, God. And Job was not a victim. He was chosen. And I believe in all the trials that I've been through, I was chosen. I'm not a victim. Satan begins to move and he wars and he works. He tears Job's wealth from him and he tears his family from him and he takes his children from him. There's Job sitting on a heap of ashes and declaring, though he slay me, I will praise him. And the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife says, curse God and die. And he said, shall we only receive good from his hand and not evil as well? For I know that in my flesh, with my eyes, I will see my Redeemer. I know. And beloved, we're going home. We're going to heaven. And so don't suffer like the world does. With all the the misery of it, suffer like a Christian. Suffer like a soldier. Suffer with some faith in you that believes in the promises that I'm going home. It hurts. I need to cry. I need some people I can be real with. I need somebody I can tell all of my pain and my I get it. We have to have the church for that and we've got to pray. But at the end of the day, don't let them smell smoke on. But God won't let him. That's not why he sent you in there. He didn't send you into life to be a victim. He sent you to be a victor. I want you to stand with me. And I just want to ask you if you are willing. There's nothing you can do in your own power, your own might. But some of you are running away from suffering. Some of you are wallowing in suffering. You're just burying yourself in it. It's a bottomless pit. It really is. But you can faith your way out. You can faith your way through. You can receive the comfort of the Lord. How many of you would just say today, God, I really need your comfort. I really need, I hear, I hear this message. I hear this man up there talking. And if it's true that you give comfort, I need it from you.
Why don't you come to this altar right now? Just ask the Lord to give you that. Ask the Lord to give you that strength. You don't have to, but you don't have to be free. You don't have to be happy. You don't have to be healed. You don't have to be whole. A lot of people aren't. But he sure extends the invitation to you for that. So why not take it? Some of you have turned from suffering and you're trying to keep yourself in a soft place. You can. You can. And the instruction is certainly not to plan your suffering. It's the voluntary desire to walk with Jesus. I just want to walk with you. Through the valley of the shadow of death, beside still waters, through green pastures, through wildernesses, through the light and through the darkness, I volunteer to walk with you, Jesus. Because you're beautiful to me. And I pray that my life would be a demonstration that there's still somebody down here who loves you for you. And not because you just make life easy or bearable. But because you're worth it all. You're worth it all.